Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody this morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching elders here at Celebrate. And uh, I met with Andrew earlier this week, and I said, you know what, this scripture has so many things in it. And uh, you're going to hear as I go, I quiz my family on a few things along the, along the journey, and uh, maybe we'll have a couple of chuckles along the way as well. Um, when I looked at this scripture, like I said, I struggled a little bit with where to go on it. What you're going to see and hear inside of the scripture is you're going to hear things around obedience, Philip obeying what God was calling him into. You're going to hear things about evangelism, him going out and sharing his belief in Jesus. And you're going to hear the story of an Ethiopian who I'm going to say in society at the time would have been considered the least of these. And I want to start with, I want to, I want to show a picture here. I want to start with a story. This is a picture of my mom. It's a picture of her as a little girl, and it's a picture of her as a teenager. Now, when you look at this picture, you see youth, right? You see a person that's got a full life in front of them. You see, you see optimism. You see things like that. Let me tell you a little bit of, little bit of a story about my mom. Um, she struggled in life. She had quite a bit of untreated mental health. Um, I would say she was bipolar. She would have had a, had a personality disorder. And that acted itself out inside of life for her. She treated her mental health illness with drugs and alcohol. There was a very, very sweet side of my mom. My mom loved kids. And when kids were around, you saw her light up. When those things weren't taking place, anybody who she felt wronged her, she took vengeance out on them. She'd quit talking to them. She'd disown them. She'd separate. She'd move. She'd, there were lots of things where she would break away from whatever that relationship was. And I would say for all intents and purposes, she destroyed most every relationship in her life. And I'm going to say that goes back to mental health. That goes back to the addiction that she dealt with. So in 1990, I actually separated from my, from my family. As a teenager, I said, you know what? I can't live inside this chaos, and I separated. Well, 20 years later, I stepped back into life with my, with my family. And I stepped back because I heard that little voice in the back of my head that said, Jason, you need to get engaged with your family. Anybody ever hear that little voice? How often do we not act on that little voice, right? When I step back in, our visits would usually end with her screaming at me as I'm walking out of the house. Um, they, they were, there was positive in it, but for the, for the most part, it was harsh, it was aggressive, and that little voice kept telling me, Jason, she needs you. Go back. So I could have run from the vengeance, the anger, those things, but that little voice kept saying, go back. Okay? She went into the hospital in 2012 and died 
about a month and a half later from liver failure due to the due to the addiction she was dealing with. And I remember I remember at her funeral. If you look if you looked across the crowd in the funeral, there was really two two different groups inside of it. There was the group that was there for my dad and there was a group that was there for me. There was nobody there for my mom. You see I go back to she burnt all those all those relationships. There were more flowers addressed to me at that funeral than there were to my mother. If that gives you gives you perspective. And I recall as she was as she was in the hospital, I was at their house cleaning things up, and a neighbor noticed, hey, things aren't looking right around here. They're moving stuff out, things are going on, and this neighbor stopped over and said, hey, is everything okay? And I said, well, there's some, some health issues, there's going to be some changes here. And that, that neighbor said, you know, I wondered what was going on, but these aren't really the type of people I talk to. You see, my mom was the least of these, Okay. So as we, as, we step into, as we step into the scripture today, I want to talk about, I want to talk about two characters uh, that show up inside of this. The first one is Philip. And Philip is actually, there's a couple people named Philip in the Bible. One of them was, apost- was an apostle. This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the evangelist. And if you go back to Acts 6, they pulled together a group that would eventually be what we consider in the church the deacons to help distribute food. Philip was one of those. Okay, but Philip had this amazing gift for sharing the love of the Lord with people. So eventually they started calling him Philip the Evangelist. Now last week, Judd talked about Philip and Simon the Sorcerer. Okay, so I've got this picture of Philip that he was energetic, he was courageous, he stepped into anything that he could, and I also have this picture of he was authentic. He could step into any relationship and be who he was and be in that moment and just be authentic with people. Now the second character in this story is the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian, he was a high court official for the queen of Ethiopia. And he was in charge of the treasury, which means he handles the money. Okay? Now, there was a significant requirement for someone that served the queen. And as a man, this is going to make the guys in the audience cringe a little bit, he had to be a eunuch. Now, this is where I had kind of a fun conversation with my family. We were driving to church one day, and I'm talking about the eunuch, and I hear this little voice in the back of the car say, what is a eunuch? Well, guys, do you know what a eunuch is? A eunuch is a man that has been castrated so he can serve in the high court. They do not want the person adulterizing with the help, with the queen, going after um, the kingship that is going on. So I'll be honest, I had, this, I had this picture in my mind of going up to the employment office and saying, yeah, I've got, I've got this great finance degree, I'm, I'm trained in it, and the employment officer saying, that's great. 
And then them saying, do you meet the requirement of being a eunuch? And my thought was, you know what, good luck in your search. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, that is a major, major requirement, right? Um, so some other things about the Ethiopian was he was a full convert to Judaism. He was a Gentile because he was an Ethiopian. He would have been considered a Gentile. And I would say this, in today's world, people could look at him and say, man, you, you, serve, you serve in this, uh, in this court, right? You've got, a, you've got a great job. But he would have been the least of these in the eyes of many. Because he was a eunuch, there were several things that he could not do. He could not be part of. So he would have been looked at as the least of these. So let's go to the scripture. It uh, comes out of Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And I'm going to start with verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I'm going to show you a map. So this map shows the journey that Philip and the Ethiopian were on. This primarily shows you what Philip had going on. So a couple of things stick out to me when I read this passage. First of all, an angel said to Philip, and Philip obeys. He steps right into it, right? No questions asked. So the angel asked him, go to this desert road. And when I think about desert road, a lot of the reading that I did said this desert road was kind of the side road. It was not the interstate highway to Gaza. It was the road less traveled. Now, there could be lots of reasons this Ethiopian was taking the road less traveled. He didn't want to be seen, right? Um... I suspect that road was more dangerous because it is off the beaten path, but he is on this separate road. And then the other thing it says, um, the Spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot and see what happens. Again, Philip obeys. He just goes and he sees what, he sees what happens. This Ethiopian had just been in Jerusalem worshiping So he comes back with a scroll and he's reading from the Isaiah prophet, from Isaiah the prophet. And he wonders, you know, what what does this mean? He does not understand it on the way home. So let's continue to reading, reading the scripture. At verse 32, it says, this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So he is reading from Isaiah 53, and he is reading that good news, right? That, those verses are the story of Jesus. So Philip is talking about the work Jesus did on the cross. He is talking about the resurrection of the dead. He is talking about the reconciliation of God and his people, right? He is sharing the good news with the Ethiopian. So in verse 36, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And you will see, maybe it doesn't show on here, verse 37 is actually missing in this. So we jump directly from 36 to 38, and 37 is a footnote. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And 38 begins with, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip, was, Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. So let's go back to the map a second. So, so a few things to take away from, from this piece of Scripture. One of them is I made the comment that verse 37 is missing. So as I, as I studied that, it quit showing up after the King James Version of the Bible. And it quit showing up because there was not agreement in all of the transcripts. So imagine when the Bible is is created, when they put the Bible together, they're taking all of these scrolls, all of these transcripts, and bringing them together to be one message that goes out. So this was a piece of scripture that not everybody, everybody agreed with. And here's what, if you go back to the King James Version, here is what that footnote says. And I want to read it from, 30, from verse 36. 36 starts with, as they traveled along the road... They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And 37 in the King, in the King James Version says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, so imagine Philip has been talking to him about Jesus, about being saved. Now the Ethiopian is responding, I believe, I believe in him, right? So the baptism 
takes place. And what it, what it says in the scripture is Philip and, Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. So imagine if you're the Ethiopian. You've just been submerged in baptism. As you're coming out of the water, the person that put you in is no longer there. That would freak me out just a little bit. <laughs> that would make me say, praise God. He is doing amazing things. Now for Philip, imagine Philip now is moved away. Let's put the map back up. Philip then is taken to Azotus. So you'll see that's on the left-hand side, kind of along, along the water there. So Philip is immediately taken, taken away. And I suspect Philip is like, oh, you know what? Here's another, another part of the journey. I'm going to keep evangelizing. I'm going to keep going out. I'm going to keep, keep sharing the same message. The Ethiopian then, you'll see on that map, Ethiopia is south. So the Ethiopian continues on his journey south to Ethiopia. Now here's something that to me has really struck me inside of these, inside of these passages. Ethiopian, Ethiopia was one of the very first places that Christianity took hold. Is that because the Ethiopian showed up there? By the 4th century, Christianity was the primary religion in Ethiopia. And what I think is really cool at how God does things, here is this Ethiopian eunuch. He cannot reproduce the way we think about reproducing but he can reproduce in the name of Jesus to the country of Ethiopia. Isn't that amazing? So I want to go back to just kind of some takeaways when I think about, think about this scripture, when I think about this message. You know, Acts 1.8 calls us to go out and make disciples. And when I read that, I've got to ask myself the question, how am I doing in my day? Now, I've, I've talked to you guys before, and one of the comments I make about my, about my personality is I am a 100-mile-an-hour person. I am always moving towards a target, whatever is in the day, and I miss the stuff that I am, I am going past. If I was a 50-mile-an-hour person, would I see twice as much, right? So as we are called to go out and be disciples, ask yourself, how am I doing in my day? The second takeaway that I had is, am I going to listen to that little voice? I'll tell you, that little voice is always telling me, telling me things. And sometimes he tells me things that I don't have much interest in doing. So do I have the courage? Do I have the strength? Do I, am I willing to take the road less traveled like Philip was? Am I willing to go, no questions asked? Am I willing to step into 
talking to a stranger, am I willing to do those, to do those things? And the third thing that I asked myself the question when I went through this was, am I willing to be authentic with the least of these? Am I willing to step into relationship with somebody who's different than me? Am I willing to just be me? No judgment, no, no, nothing, nothing with that person. Am I willing just to step into relationship with whoever it is that comes in my path? And I would say, I would say this, many of you know I, I uh, get an opportunity to work at the well, to serve at the well. Um, I do a lot of things out in the community. And I will say this, I have a lot of people in my life, in and out of my life, that don't know how to be loved. And I'm going to say they don't know how because they haven't experienced it. They haven't experienced it because they don't know the love of Christ. What is our role as disciples inside of that? How do we step into that? Now, knowing that should never stop us from being a light. No matter what the situation is, how can we be, how can we be a light? So I want to put the I want to put those pictures back up again of my mom. And I will, I will be honest, um, these pictures I actually pulled out of, from her funeral, we scrolled pictures throughout her life. And I still struggle with um, some of the pain that comes with it. When I opened up this presentation the other day on my computer, I couldn't help but have a few tears shed. My tears are no longer about pain. My tears are about hope for my mom. I never knew my mom in these pictures. The picture of youth, the picture of I've got this huge world in front of me, this picture of opportunity. Her life was a picture of pain, right? So I want to tell you the rest of the story with my mom. So my mom uh, went into the hospital. She was, she was dying of liver failure due to, due to her addictions. She went into the hospital, and when we took her to the hospital, they immediately put her into a coma. Okay? So she is not, not responsive at all. She was in intensive care for 30 days with no, no connection, no responsiveness, no, no nothing. And one night, this was probably two or three weeks into it, um, she was in Iowa City, so imagine I was, I was in this area. I drove over to Iowa City to see my mom, and I passed my dad at the door walking into, into, the, uh, into the intensive care unit. And I said, well, how's she doing tonight? And his response was, well, you know what, it's, it's much of the same. There's just, there's just not much there, okay? So I walk in. Um, I actually had my, had my Bible, my Bible under my arm, and I sat down next to her bed, and I started reading Scripture. At the time, I was reading through the Psalms. And this is the Psalm that I was reading. It's Psalm 56, 
And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Okay, so imagine I am reading this next to my mom's bed. And remember that little voice, right? That little voice says, Jason, look up. And I looked up, and my mom was looking at me. So I'm going to remind you, she has been in a coma for the last 15 days, has been not communicating to anybody, and she was alert. And my first thought was, God, are you serious? (laughs) Is this really what's going on? So during that time... I talked to her about why you were here, what's going on. Mom, you're dying. The doctors had told us it would be just a matter of days before, before the end was there. But I also had the opportunity to talk to her about the saving grace of Jesus. In the final days of her life, the Lord created an opening this big to talk to my mom about Jesus. She accepted Jesus during that conversation. We shed a whole lot of tears sitting in the bed. I held her hand. I prayed with her. She went back to sleep, and we never communicated again. What are we doing in our days when we walk with people? Are we sharing the love of Christ? I can today rest in the hope that Jesus offers. Someday I'm going to see the mom that's in that picture and not the one that was abusive, right? Because I've got the hope of where she's where she's at. So I want to I want to invite the worship team uh, back up here, and I want I want to pray. I want to pray for us. Father God, Lord, we, Lord, we rest in you. Lord, we do not know. We do not know what the day is going to bring. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But Lord, let's choose to rest in the hope of what you will bring. Let us not get consumed with the negatives of life. Let us not get consumed with the things that are inconvenient for us. Let our hearts, let our minds, let them be consumed with you. Lord, you surround us. You love us. You care for us. Lord, we are thankful that you are the same yesterday as you are today as you will be tomorrow. Lord, we can rest in that.
Lord, I pray that your peace covers us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.